This week is the final week of our sermon series called On the Team, in which we have looked at how you can find your place serving on God's team in the church. Each week I have opened up by regaling you all with tales of my old playing days, and you've tolerated it. Today you are spared. Huzzah. I'm not going to talk about sports to start. Instead, I want us to look back on where we've, where we've gone this series, the, the, the shape that this series has taken. First, we saw that God has been active and worked in our lives, and that we are offered a choice in how we respond to God. We saw Joshua call upon the Israelites to serve God and keep the law on the basis of what God had done for Israel in delivering them to the promised land. We serve God in the church as a response to what God has done through the church in our lives. In the first week, we talked about service being a response to the activity of God in our world and in our lives. God has given us life. God has given us love. God has given us a relationship with him. And God has given us this church. As a response out of gratitude, we are called to serve God, to serve the church. When we talk about being on the team, what we mean is that we are invited by God to serve. This is not so much an obligation, but a gift that God gives us, letting us participate in God's work in the world and connecting us to God's Holy Spirit. Number two, Jesus calls us to be a part of his mission in the world. The mission has a motto, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Our goal is to witness to that kingdom, and our task is to follow Jesus doing the things that Jesus did. In the second week, we talked about serving because it simply is what Jesus calls us to do. When God came into the world in Jesus Christ, God came as one who serves. And the first thing that Jesus did when it came time for him to get into the game was to assemble a team around him. This team would go on to serve doing the things that Jesus did. They followed Jesus, and Jesus' invitation to them was to come and do the things he would do, and to continue doing them even after his death, resurrection, and ascension. Jesus invites us to follow as well. When we serve, we are engaging in the very activity of being a disciple. Number three. As we respond to God through service and respond to Jesus' call to follow him, we mature as Christians through using the gifts that God has given us in service to the body of Christ, which is the church. Last week, we talked about how the Christian life is not just about what we can get from God, namely salvation, but the Christian life is also about how we can be actively healed in this life, in this world, through God's grace. The word for that is sanctification. And the way that happens is Christian maturation. We mature in our faith. And we mature in our faith through serving, by coming to see ourselves as part of this magical, mystical body of Christ. Today, we are going to look at what this all means for how we live our lives. I believe that serving in the church isn't just about meeting the church's needs. It's about your life. It's about your discipleship. It's about your family and your faith. This morning we are going to look at a portion of the first epistle, or at the, of the epistle of 1 Peter. Peter's first epistle. Some, some permutation of those words. 
First Peter begins as being addressed to God's chosen elect living in exile. The theme of the first chapter and a half of First Peter is living out our calling as God's people, living different kinds of lives than those around us. When Peter writes that his letter is to holy exiles, he is likely being somewhat metaphorical. Holy exiles, resident aliens, is a phrase that Peter will employ to talk about the kinds of lives we who are called to live as part of God's people do so in the world. It's a sign and signal that we are meant to be different, meant to live differently, meant to value different things as a sign of God's presence in the world. Much of 1 Peter is about acting, serving, and how we live our lives out in the world. So when we talk about service this morning, we are talking about what service here in the church means for how you live your life. What your life says to your children, to your family, what it says to your neighbors and friends, how your actions witness to what you believe. And it is about how living an alternative life based on an alternative story helps you live in sync with what God is doing in the world. And with all that preamble, let us turn to Scripture. We are in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans chose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. What a list. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regards to the body, but live a according to God in regard to the Spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So Peter begins this passage by picking up his main theme how to live as God's people in the world, living differently, valuing different things. Christ suffered, he says, so we too ought to be willing to suffer. There's a sense in which Peter claims that those who are willing to suffer have moved beyond the things that lead us to sin. There's a lot that can be said about how Peter starts off this segment, but for our purposes, we will just keep with how it fits into Peter's general themes. Those who are willing to suffer bodily, says Peter, are less concerned with earthly outcomes and are more focused on what God is doing in the world. I remember what Martin Luther King Jr. said about the parable of the Good Samaritan. He talked about how when the priest and the Levite saw the, the wounded, the injured man, and walked around on the other side, 
their main concern was what would happen to them if they stopped to help the hurting man. Would they too be waylaid by the same robbers that had hurt this man? Was this man part of a team? Was he faking his injury? Was he a soccer player and was just trying to lure them in? No shots to soccer players. King says that their concern was with what would happen to them. Then King says that when the Samaritan comes by, his main concern is not what will happen to me if I stop and help. His main concern is what will happen to this man if I don't stop and help. It's that type of mindset shift that Peter is talking about here. There are people who care so much about their own lives that they are willing to go to any length to ensure their own happiness. And then there are people who are so concerned about what God wants in this world that they are willing to give their lives, their time, their checking accounts, their everything, to ensuring that what God wants in this world happens. I'm honored that so many people who are like that call this church their home. Peter continues, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans chose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. A pastor I greatly respect uh, told a story one time about being recently married uh, and being surprised at how much, his, how much money his wife wanted to give to the church. Uh, they were in seminary at the time, and yes, this is a story about a future pastor being concerned with how much money his wife wanted him to give to the church, and he told this story freely and willingly. Um, but he said that his wife, he had grown up in the church, his wife hadn't. She knew what it was to live without Christ and had come to Christ in college. And when she came to Christ, the group that she was with said, if you want to, to be a part of the church, you need to give X amount of money to the church. Um, the point of the story isn't money. The point is this. Peter reminds his audience that they have lived apart from Christ. You have spent so much time doing all these things, and in the words of Dr. Phil, how's that been working out for you? You know what you're saying no to, Peter says. You know the life you used to live. The pastor's story was so powerful because his wife was giving at this level more than he felt comfortable giving at. And remember, he's the seminarian going on to be a pastor. His wife was giving at this level, he said, because she knew what it was to live without Christ. And she was willing to do whatever it took to never have to live without him again. Friends, we can build our lives on many different things. We can spend our time doing many different things. And what Peter is trying to hammer home to his audience is that if you believe that you have spent enough time building your life on things that don't last, build your life on something that will. But that means making different choices. It means behaving differently. It means living differently. We live in a world of immense tragedy and injustice. It has always been so. But more and more, our awareness of the tragedy and injustice, our awareness of the danger and the threats is increasing. 
we are increasingly more aware that going to a movie theater can be dangerous. We are more aware that going to school can be dangerous. We are more aware that at any point, we are more aware of that this week than most, that at any point, natural disaster can strike us. And I don't know about you, but in a world that is so shifty and ever-changing, I want something firm on which to build my life. I've had enough of placing my hopes, my ultimate hopes in the powers and principalities of this world. I want to base my life on something that will outlast this world. This sort of transcendental thinking is the thing to which Peter turns next. For this reason, Peter says, the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead so that they may be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. The earliest Christians believed that after Jesus ascended to heaven, that he was going to come back and very, very soon. In the early epistles, and in the Gospels, we see warnings that not just is Jesus coming back one day, but that one day will be very soon. Paul even tells the Corinthians, don't bother getting married if you can help it. Because Jesus is coming back so soon that you can't have your allegiances divided. Peter is saying here that the end of things is near, so be alert. Live differently because Jesus is coming and you don't want him to catch you going back to your old life. We don't have that same sense of urgency living 2,000 years after Christ's ascension. Every now and again, we'll see some leader come out and say he knows when the end of the world is going to be, but you know, most of the time they've been wrong. Although I guess law of large numbers, they're going to be right one of these days. Um, what we do know what we are painfully aware of now more than ever is how quickly and suddenly our lives can end. This week, we remembered one of the greatest national tragedies we've ever experienced. When we woke up on a Tuesday morning, I believe, a number of people went to work not knowing they weren't going to come home. I remember going to high school in this area, walking into my third period class and not understanding what was on the television. I remember we got out early. It was one of the few days I rode the bus home because all sports practices were canceled. And friends and acquaintances, people I'd had classes with, were in shock and in tears because their parents worked at the Pentagon and they didn't know. My sister-in-law was on Capitol Hill that day. I remember the horror of imagining, knowing, gut feeling that the plane that went down in Pennsylvania would have been headed for her. Since that day, we can't ever take anything for granted. We know that life is precious. We know that life is a gift. 
we know that we will not live forever and that we are not guaranteed any more days than we have now. So the question becomes, what are we going to do with the time that we have left? What are we going to do with the time that we do have? Are we going to base that time on things that will outlast us? Are we going to build on a rock? What advice does Peter give those who don't live forever? He says this, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. What does Peter say we are to do if we wish to live as God's chosen? How are we to live as resident aliens, citizens of heaven residing in this earth? How are we to build our lives on something lasting and worth living for? Love. Show hospitality. Serve as you have gifts. We've been talking about getting on the team and serving for the past few weeks. When it comes to serving in the church, when it comes to setting up our worship area, when it comes to setting up our hospitality area, volunteering with the children's ministry, counting the morning offering, you might ask, why should I spend my time doing that other than the church needs me to? The church has needs, and out of an obligation, I will help out. Here's the deal. I don't want to sugarcoat it or be less than honest. Setting up 80 chairs every week that have to get taken down a couple hours later is sometimes a drag. Hauling in and out our gear every week is tough work. And I could give you stats, like those who serve in their church have a, generally have a, a higher appreciation, a higher uh, love, uh, a great, better feeling about their church and about their faith. And those stats exist and are good and are true, but it won't make the work any easier. I'm asking you to volunteer. I'm asking every one of you to get on a ministry team because I believe that what we do here in this church is the most important part of my life. And I believe that what we do here in this church is the most important part of yours. When we work when we serve in the church, we are claiming our citizenship in heaven. We are working towards something that will outlast us all. We are partnering with God in building the kingdom. We are building a life that is based on something truer than what we can find in this world. And we show the people around us, our friends, our families, what is ultimately important to us. There is a flyer that has our ministry team leads and what they do on it. I hope that in the last week, few weeks you've taken, had a chance to take a look through it. There is a player card. Today is the last day of this sermon series. It's the last day of the campaign. It's probably not the last time I'm going to ask you to 
get involved and volunteer and serve. But it's the last time for a while I'm going to take a whole sermon to do it. I'm asking each of you, each and every one of you, to get on a team, to serve, to claim your citizenship in heaven, and to invest your time, your talents, your skills, your sweat into building something bigger than all of us. Because what stronger witness is there than showing up and helping to serve your church? It's time to get on the team. Turning your, your card into the offering basket when you come forward for a communion. Let us pray. Almighty and all loving God, this world offers us a chance to build our lives on many things. So many times we choose to build our lives on things that won't last, on things that pass away, on things that can be taken from us at any moment. God, you offer us a choice to build your life, to build our lives on something that will last, on something that cannot be taken from us. And that is building your kingdom, building your church. We know, God, that you have gifted each one of us. We know that you have made us uniquely, particularly, and with purpose. And we know that you have gifted us for service in this, your church. Help us to see our gifts. Show us how you have equipped us. And give us the grace to get involved, to roll up our sleeves, to witness to our family, to ourselves, to our friends, to our neighbors, that we, be we believe that your church and your kingdom is the most important thing to us. Help us, God, to say yes to you yes to your team, and yes to serving in your church. All this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.